Alright, today is March 3rd, 2019, and this is episode 234 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, sir? I am really, really good. How are you? I'm doing alright. I'm doing alright. I uh, was at a uh, an outdoor bourbon and beer and barbecue festival yesterday, and I think I, I think I got a little bit too much sun and bourbon, so I'm... You- you learned that you're not as young as you once were, didn't you? Correct. That is a very correct statement. And today I'm paying the price. But otherwise, I'm very good. Thank you. And uh, sorry we missed last week. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's uh, Sometimes it doesn't work out. Last week was my fault because uh, we were doing Valentine's Day Observed since my wife was in her uh, her play, the actual Valentine's Day. So... My fault. My bad. Yeah. So, so the one thing that we actually missed by by not uh, having a, a show last week, this is this is re- uh, kind of tragic. Actually, the four year anniversary of the two llamas running around uh, in Arizona. I, wow! I know that was a monumentous event in your history and the show's history. Yes, absolutely. I mean, a formative event. You might F- say. Absolutely. Yes. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see, um, uh, thoughts and opinions that we express on the show are ours. Yeah, check. Um, B-Sides Orlando. Right. March 31st, or March 30th. March 30th. Not not 31st, if you go on the 31st. We won't prob- be there. You'd probably be sad. Um, so that's a Saturday, right? 30th is a Saturday. Saturday, March 30th. Okay. Going to be awesome. What are we doing? You and I are going to be there doing a live recording of the Defensive Security Podcast, which is... Jerry, they, they, they know how ugly I am, right? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't mean, say they, that. Can't there's say. a reason we're on radio and not uh, video. I'm just kind of... Okay, all right, we'll see hey. what happens. Hey. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Oh, boy. Uh, hmm. I could come up with a few bad things. So, yeah, no, that'll be fun. Uh, and... Uh, I also was hoping to be at B-Sides in Nashville, and I even submitted a talk, and they accepted the talk, and I had to turn it down because I suck, and I uh, didn't have my schedule very well coordinated, and I had another event booked that I cannot skip uh, that I paid for. And uh, so a uh, little bit of love and shout-out to B-Sides Nashville. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a terrible person, but it's a great event, so go show them some love and support. Yeah, yeah I've heard that's a, a really good conference. So, Indeed. Right. So good, yeah. We'll uh, we'll have to figure out our travel logistics for uh, Yield Orlando. Absolutely. Looks like a looks like a really great venue and um, some, some good talks. And, I mean, the creme de la creme, you know, you get to see us do a show. I I don't I, really, I, I think they may have I, to move this to like a stadium or something. I really think we're overselling it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, you're just setting them up for disappointment. Well, that's fair. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's been 
one persistent thing throughout my life is that's true. So what are we talking about today? Yes. So we have a we have a set of stories. First first up tonight is uh, this actually happened a few weeks ago. Pretty interesting, and and I I still wanted to talk about it. It's from ZDNet. Title is Hackers Wipe U.S. Servers of Email Provider VFE Mail. Ouch. Yeah. This one's ugly. Yeah. yeah. So um so VFE Mail is a uh, it's a small uh, relatively smallish email provider. As I understand it, it um it came into being shortly after the Patriot Act went into effect back in two thousand one or two thousand two, as I recall. Um, don't know all of the de- details there, um, but you know, apparently um, it had pretty good reputation. Anyway, uh, uh, at one point, one evening, all right, maybe I guess it was afternoon. The um, the server started going offline, and in the investigation, uh, the VF email uh, admins caught a a perpetrator actually executing commands to wipe the drives. Of the servers used to host this um, this cloud-based email server, including, you know, their their file servers, their database servers, you know, their their mail servers, and of course the backup servers. Ouchie. Yeah, and uh, so this actually sounded when I when I read you know, read about this, it sounded very much like the whole Code Spaces incident, which is actually referenced at the bottom of this article. Code Spaces. Uh, several years ago was forced to shut down after someone broke into their um, th- their AWS account and proceeded to delete everything, including their backups. And so they, they just basically were were out of business. Uh, it, it appears, by the way, that VF email, I, I took a look at this earlier today, and it looks like they are uh, back up and running, although the, the data that was deleted is is just gone. Yeah, I was checking earlier on their Twitter feed, uh, the best they've been able to do thus far is rebuild a backup server that has data up to um, looks like August of 2016. Yeah. So, uh, but man, that's ugly. Uh, I mean, props to them for continuing on and and trying to get back up and operational. But wow, that's an ugly, ugly hack. Uh, and as far as we know, we don't know why. And uh, there was no ransom demand. There was no. Uh, you know, information sent to to the owners that has ever been released to anybody, at least if if it happened, as to why uh, they did this. Right, right. So, you know, I, I don't know anything at all about the, uh, the the environment of this of this particular provider, but you know, it sounds like the the adversary here uh, it was able to to move laterally from system to system. And again, I don't know if this was all contained in one hosting provider or uh, distributed um, you know but it, it it occurs to me that it, especially as we move more and more to the cloud and, and maybe even in cases where we're not we really need to be thinking about you know kind of, in my view at least this kind of a, of an attack because it's not it's not just this right if you think about things like wanna cry and not pet ya and some other types of attacks, the ability to contain lateral movement, especially to your backup servers, is is really important. Yeah, and so should be looking for those single points of failure. You know, like you may have everything in AWS split across different regions and maybe even different countries, but if it's all in the same, you know, the same AWS account, and 
the compromise of that account can lead to, like in this, in the case of code space, is all of your systems getting nuked. Um, that's that's really not <laughs> not the right way to do it. No, it, and it's tough because we have, as we've gotten more efficient and faster and better at running the infrastructure, we have moved away from some technology that had some inherent protection against this unwitting, unknowingly. We used to do backups to tapes that would mm-hmm. went offline and were stored offline. They were, you know, slow as hell to write to and read back, but they were quote unquote safe. Uh, we've, you know, it's pretty much unheard of these days. Everything is live backup or online backup or or some sort of cloud connected backup, uh, which has a great deal of convenience and a great deal of efficiency, but is vulnerable to this sort of potential attack. And without knowing more about what sort of credentials were, were gathered and, and how they went laterally, it's tough to tough to devise a defense against this particular attack. But it's certainly something to think about. How do I, in the worst case scenario that all of my main machines are fully compromised to root level, how do I protect my backup? Yeah. And, you know, that's a very individual design choice in every individual environment, but it is something to think about. Uh, If you're only doing backups for, you know, glitches and unforeseen crashes and not thinking about a skilled adversary attempting to delete it, you may want to think a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's, if it's not a major, um, you know, not a major cost element to, to make some slight modifications. You know, so so anyway, it's it's an interesting story. There's there's unfortunately not a lot of details about you know who did it, why they did it, um, and then you know how the how the lateral movement was performed and whatnot. You know, it's it's really unclear. Like you said, if if, um, if the adversary gained credentials or if they managed to compromise one server and that led to a, a compromise of the whole environment. I mean, it, we just don't know. It could have been a former employee or, you know, there, there's lots of, lots of possibilities. Maybe they gave, maybe one of the employees was offered a candy bar, right? I mean, we've, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, and it's probably not very funny for those affected by this. So No, it's not. You mean, son of a. I know, I know. I'm sorry. All right, uh, moving on to our next story comes from securityweek.com, and the title is Russia State-Sponsored Hackers Are Fastest, According to CrowdStrike. So um, so CrowdStrike released a report where they looked at 30,000 intrusion attempts, apparently mostly by nation-state actors, and um, they, they put them into buckets and averaged the time, um, the, the, what they call the average breakout time which is basically the time the, the time that it takes from the initial compromise of an endpoint till the time that they have successfully begun to move laterally in the environment in the case of Russia uh, the, the CrowdStrike report says that they do it in just under 19 minutes on average which is pretty darn fast I would be interested to know what the median is, like, because I suspect some of them are, you know, like, you know, maybe seconds or, or a minute or two, and then some maybe a lot longer. Yeah, and I guess it also depends on what are they doing. You know, what's the average adversary doing during that time? Uh, harvesting credentials, scanning, looking for vulnerable connections. You know, there's probably a lot of different ways you can take that next step once you get that foothold. Uh, yeah. Downloading tools. 
So it's interesting. And uh, go ahead with your summary. I, sure. I have a thought after kind of go through that. Sure. So uh, so Russia is, is um, again, according to CrowdStrike, is fastest. And then North Korea at two hours and 20 minutes on average. China's at four hours. Iran is a little over five hours. And, uh, and then the general organized crime uh, is about 10, almost 10 hours. Um, you know, it, it, so go ahead. It's interesting too. I wonder how this impacts detection rates. Uh, you know, if, if you've missed the initial intrusion, Often, hopefully, when they start going lateral, they make some noise. You might be able to catch that. So I wonder if faster lateral movement or slower has any impact in detection rates. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's such a broad question. I guess it depends on the organization, but um, makes me wonder. Yeah. It, what, what concerns me a bit is when you start talking about 19 minutes, and again, it's, that's an average, so we don't know, you know, what what's really happening necessarily but being able to detect you know, confirm and then respond to uh you know to to an intrusion in 19 minutes is pretty damn fast you know and, and i dare say probably out of the realm of uh, of reach of you know many organizations of any size i mean certainly if it's a small organization and you have sophisticated monitoring and you can go tell joe to turn off his computer you know that's it's pretty simple but is this when you're going to pitch your ai totally block my blockchain ai detection mm-hmm. thing yeah mm-hmm. absolutely powered that's by llama blood <laughs> no 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 don't hurt the llamas um <laughs> So, you know, th- this is um, – the reason I wanted to, to, to bring this up is, you know, the, you, can, you can see at the bottom of the, of the little table they have here, the, they, they have the organized crime uh, represented there. And that's, again, at about 10 hours. But as we've talked about in the past, the tactics used by the more sophisticated adversaries inevitably trickle down – to you know, to the kind of garden variety organized crime, and you know, I, I, I um, I'm very skeptical about most organizations' ability to detect and respond in, you know, in in a reasonable amount of time to be able to uh, to take action before something bad happens. So, so I, you know, I, I would say this is a, you know, it's, it's, it's I think we talked about this a couple of months ago. In the context of a metrics, some metrics that some company maybe was CrowdStrike was trying to uh, uh, to push forward, you know, you, being able to measure and and manage the time to detection and the time to response is is, yeah. is probably something, especially if you feel like you are uh, the target of you know these these more advanced adversaries. Yeah, I would agree. I'd also say that this is kind of a vague topic, right? Just to move laterally could be a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you know, it could be moving laterally just to a nearby host, another workstation. It could be moving to a server. It could be moving towards their target. It it certainly makes it harder to contain them once they start moving laterally. But I would say not all lateral movement is equal. 
you know, as a no, broad I think that's a, I think that's a great point, but I think the reason it's important is because, um, you know, again, in in an environment of any, you know, of any significant size, you don't necessarily know where they went. Right, and and so it's difficult unless you have you know really great insight and an ability to perform forensics and you know across your environment and whatnot. It's really difficult to you know once they've moved off to know exactly where they've gone and sure you know rebuilding entire environments you know is is very expensive <laughs> and, and painful. So um, anyway. Interesting, interesting thought experiment. I I don't have great um, great advice uh, other than you know I, I I think we have to take very likely going forward some fundamentally different approaches to um, into this in this space, right? I mean, we we probably going to have to if if in fact this trend continues and you know the the adversary, especially the the more Common adversaries start decreasing their their time of uh, to lateral movement. We're probably going to have to invest a lot more in automation. You know, the ability to automate the let's say the disconnection of suspected com- compromised workstations. Yeah, some sort of auto quarantine when enough suspicious behavior occurs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, but that could be dangerous too, right? That's. I mean, this is the whole old debate about IDS versus IPS of, you know, do you trust your machines to not trigger on a false positive and disrupt production traffic? That that is what it's always coming down to. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Absolutely. All right. Next story comes from ZDNet. Again, it's a title is ICANN. There is an ongoing and significant risk to DNS infrastructure. Uh, so, so this I think this was um, announced. There was an announcement by uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security sometime around Christmas, and and shortly thereafter, uh, conveniently when the government was shut down, you know that uh, that all government agencies needed to go and implement uh, DNSSEC. And well, hey, look, you're you're in a shutdown. It's like a huge change window. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. All your production shut down. What a perfect! First, you clean out the internet pipes. You do some maintenance. You do some upgrades. I didn't even think about it that way. You're right. That's that's why I'm here. That's that's brilliant. Um. So so anyway, that there was a um, and and still is some concerted efforts by uh, unknown adversaries to compromise the the domain accounts. So not not Active Directory this time. But the um, you know the, the domain registrar accounts of different uh, the different domain holders. In the case of we're just talking about government domains, but this is happening more broadly, and this is the uh, the issue that ICANN is warning about. And you know DNSSEC, the the promise of DNSSEC, which has by the way been around for twenty years now, hard to believe. Holy cow! And still still not very widely distributed. It's because it needs like a logo and a mascot and a theme song. Yeah, I keep wondering, you know, which is going to get traction first, IPv6 or DNSSEC? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Um, anyway, the DNSSEC relies on the concept of of public key cryptography, and the 
you know the, the authoritative owner of a domain retaining um, you know pr- pr- I should say protecting the private key used to sign the DNS records and then in that way somebody who's doing a query can can confirm that the um, that, that the the value that's coming back has been digitally signed by so know, it's almost like an SSL certificate for websites yeah or PGP right yeah sure it's very very much like SSL or PGP um, but you know the, the the thing that concerns me is most especially in the commodity commercial space most registrars make DNS or many maybe, maybe it's not most but the ones I've seen make a DNSSEC really easy in that the you know the DNSSEC private key is stored in their you know in in their um, control panel so if you if your um, if your DNS registrar account gets compromised then you know the bad guys can sign sign uh, your 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 DNS changes with your private key, right? Which it, is awesome. Yeah, that's what's interesting about this article is there's certain attacks references in this article that DNSSEC would solve, but other ones not so much because if they've got your your registrar, like if they've owned your account at the at the registrar, they can change all of that, right? And it'll look all authentic, like you've logged in and done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. That's where it sort of, unless I'm misunderstanding the technology a little bit, which is definitely possible because I've never played with the NSX, it seems like the bigger issue is securing your domain registrar account uh, in some ways for some of these attacks they're talking about. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. Yes. Not taking away from deploying DNSSEC. It's a good, you know, it's a valid, useful technology. It just seems like they were trying to stretch a little too far um, on this one, it seems. I agree. So anyway, it's uh, it's if you if you're not doing DNSSEC, and I'm going to guess you're not, you should probably start thinking about it because I can and DN, uh, DHS are coming after you. Did you just threaten our listeners? I didn't threaten them. <clears throat> I can and DHS, they're the ones who. Wow. Yeah. Seems a little hostile. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Totally agree. So anyway, moving on to our next story. This one, this story caused just an absolute crap storm on Twitter that is continuing to resonate like even today. Um, the title uh, it comes from InfoSecurity-Magazine, which is, I think, different than InfoSecurityMagazine.com. And the title is Flaws Discovered in Popular Password Managers Report Claims. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this... This one kind of got under my skin a little bit. <laughs> so, so this company called Independent Security Evaluators uh, ran some tests on a number of different popular, uh, really all the major um, password managers. So one password, two different versions of one password, Dashlane, LastPass, KeePass, and I think I'm missing one. And you know they basically found that I'm not going to say they didn't call it a dumpster fire, but they kind of alluded to it being a dumpster fire. And it, the, 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 the crux of the issue with most all of them is that the, um, the master password is often stored in clear text in memory on the computer. And then in, in many cases, one or all of the individual passwords are stored in clear text in memory 
And so if you have some kind of an adversarial program or, you know, s- some actor active on your, your system, um, they can conceivably collect your master password and then possibly even password stored in the password vault, um, you know, without <laughs> very conveniently, right? Just looking at memory. So to be clear, this requires local administrative access. Yes. And they had to have breached the, the, the local box completely to do this. Yes. And they could just as easily maybe spin up like a keyboard logger. Oh, my gosh. Really? I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so, so that's the I, I – think, I think that's the, the problem is you, there's a lot of – my view is there's a lot of people in, in security who – Maybe it's not a lot. I don't know. But there's there's some people in security who find the whole concept of password managers just unpalatable. Like it's it's just this terrible, awful thing to to put all of your passwords in one place, and now it's a you know it's it's a single point of failure. And 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 by the way, this is just pointing out how horrible that single point of failure is, and that it can it, you know it can lead to to disastrous results. You know, but honestly, that's not the main thing that you have to worry about these days. Right. Yeah. There is some validity to that concern, but I think the risk is much higher to reuse the same password over and over and to much, reuse much easily higher. guessed password. Yeah, much, much so exactly. We're, we're never going to get to zero risk. So it's about managing risk and mitigating risk and having randomized unique passwords per account I think is a far greater mitigation of risk, uh, even when I do concentrate my passwords in one spot. So, you know, hey, I appreciate that people are auditing password managers and making sure they're safe and secure. They, they are a good target. I get that. Uh, so there's value in folks going and poking at them and trying to find flaws. No problem there. This feels like a breathless, oh, look what we found. Password managers are terrible. They all suck. When you know, the gyrations they have to jump through compared to easier attacks if I've got that level of access uh, just tells me, you know, we're, we're, I get it. It's an issue, but you're really reaching. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, in, in defense of independent security evaluators, they, in their report, they actually do still recommend that people use password managers, but that's kind of buried down at the bottom. And, right. you know, a, after they've spent, multiple pages talking about how terrible <laughs> the security well, is. And, and, you know, again, they're not wrong to do this. I don't, I'm not upset at them for doing this, but the real world consequence is people only read the headlines. Yes. And, you know, if executives read the headlines and then want to rip password managers out of an environment or whatever, it, I don't know that they're doing the best service to the folks who are trying to secure their environment. But again, I, you know, I'm, I'm torn because I certainly like people testing these things and trying to find weaknesses so that we can get them fixed uh, and, and not have them used against us. But uh, again, I, I just, I think most of the major password manager brands do a good job keeping themselves pretty secure. And I still think they're worth using. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, in, in order to take advantage, this is, basically what you said but i'm going to repeat it in order to take advantage of the the weaknesses they found you've you've 
they would have to have a presence. The an adversary would have to have a presence on your computer already, and if that is the case, you know you're you're already host. <laughs> you know this is this is just you know one more one more way that you're host. Um, I do hope that the password man, the, the the makers of these password managers will do something about some of the issues. There are there are problems that are not easily fixed, like you know that. There's a there is a master password, but you know what? It doesn't necessarily have to be stored in memory persistently. Um, I do think as users, we have an op. You know, most of these password managers provide an option for you know hardware hardware token based logins like U2F keys or something like that. That I, su- sure. I suspect. I don't think that was mentioned in the report, um, but. You know, I suspect that would be a, a pretty strong mitigant of your master password being stolen. But again, if you're, you know, if your um, if your password manager is in fact storing all of you know loads all of the passwords unencrypted into memory, yeah, that's that's probably not the most awesome thing. And and maybe that is something that the manufacturers can can fix in the future. But again, um, I mean, th- this stuff exists in a you know in in a in a larger context and we have to protect the endpoint too. You know, this is, I, 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 I think if we're assuming that the hot, that, that the endpoint is hostile, um, I'm not sure that talking about password managers is the most productive. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. If so, you've got full admin or full root on the endpoint as an adversary, uh, that's a whole different threat paradigm that I'm trying to defend against. Yeah. Yep. All right. So net net is I'm still a strong supporter and remain a strong supporter of password managers. Use them, recommend them to your friends and family and coworkers. Is this when you announced the Llama password manager? Absolutely. It's based on the blockchain in the cloud. Mm. Yep. Mm. Mm. Noticing the theme, right? All right, the last story we have tonight is from ZDNet also. Uh, title is Microsoft, do these things now to protect your network. So Microsoft released its uh, annual security intelligence report. Uh, it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty good read as they usually are. This, this particular article points out some, uh, some consistency problems in their recommendations, which I thought were pretty interesting. Um, Microsoft points out that... Um, you know, most attacks on Microsoft products are um, happen in the in the case of zero days and or uh, vulnerabilities that have been where a patch has been available for quite some time. So they they point out that you should really patch quickly is one of the things to do to help protect your network. But at the same time, uh, they go on in the report to talk about this kind of evolving supply chain threat whereby uh, manufacturers of, of software and they, they go on to highlight a whole bunch of different examples like, um, you know, WordPress plugins and Docker container images and Python packages and uh, N- NPM modules. And, you know, we've talked about um, uh, CCleaner in the past and, and you know, sure. there's been yep. you know many many others. The 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 NotPetya uh, ME Doc uh, software, you know, and so 
so so to an extent the, the the article here is pointing out a little inconsistency there on the one hand they they're calling out this emerging problem of supply chain threats and at the same time saying you know the you have to um you have to apply patches really really quickly you know i i i think the issue is patching quickly is absolutely kind of i mean it's it's not a necessarily a different discussion than we just had on on uh, password managers, right? I mean, you're, it's hard to go wrong applying patches quickly because that's going to affect. Oh, oh, but I can hear our listeners <laughs> writing furiously about what about patches that Microsoft has to withdraw because they break things, and what about badly written patches, yep. and how many times Microsoft has has put out a patch and yanked it back after it bricked a bunch of boxes. Yeah, well, you know, I so I do think it makes sense to test them, right? I mean, it is our, one of our jobs is availability. Right? Sure. Um, you know, but it can't it can't be a um it can't be a long, you know, multi-week process. You got to right. you got to you got to triage it and figure out if it's acceptable to push out very quickly. Otherwise, I mean, look, the endpoint is I mean, that's the consistent thing right the endpoint is is the weak spot these days and and so if you're you know if you're worried about the impact of pushing out the latest version of a, uh, the latest patch for adobe reader or or firefox or chrome or or in my, the latest microsoft windows patches um you know it's it, which one which one <laughs> what hell do you want <laughs> right you know bad patch or uh compromise and be investing in a compromise choose your pain yeah choose your pain exactly (laughs) exactly so they you know they that was one um let's see uh they recommend it to uh, deploy a secure email gateway that has advanced threat capabilities and nice advanced threat protection capabilities and i suspect microsoft can help you out with that if you so choose. <laughs> well, and that pairs with their comment that phishing is still such a large indi- uh, avenue of attack. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, they uh, they say that it's important to um, implement what I'm going to call least privileged access controls, you know, so that people who shouldn't have access to systems and data don't actually have access to the systems and data, which will limit your exposure some. And then also teaching employees to be sus- suspect of messages that ask them to divulge sensitive information. We've talked about that um, ad nauseum in the past. And then they talk about, this actually kind of ties back to um, you know the, the, the first story, that they recommend keeping destruction resistant backups of your critical systems. And they have the three, two, one rule, which is you have, you, you need to maintain three backups of your data using two different types of storage with at least one of them backed up offsite. And I will add to that, not only offsite, but offline. Right. Disconnected offsite, not just to a cloud provider that you have constant connection to. Right. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a good advice. I I wonder how many companies are actually doing it. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's you know, again, this is I, I think um, I think it, this is why IT takes smart people, right? 
right. know, to, to, to kind of sit down and think through in the context of a given organization and how their IT is laid out in the, the financial constraints they have and all that stuff, you know, what is the appropriate way to do it? And, you know, I, I come back to, in order to make a valuable or, you know, valid assessment, you have to have a good understanding of the actual threat that you're trying to defend against. And, you know, hopefully the kinds of things we talk about on the show will help, you know, help bring some of that stuff to mind as you're, as you're trying to de- you know, design the right type of environment. That, that is a good hope. You know, one other thing they mentioned too that I thought was interesting was they reference uh, continued pivot away from ransomware to uh, crypto miners, which makes sense. But I'm also wondering, since we've seen a lot of the price of cryptocurrency collapse, if we might see some of the bad guys pivot back to ransomware. It, it certainly is possible. Um, I'm not convinced that the that the price of cryptocurrencies is the only reason that that um, the ransomware is you know that that we've seen this change. I, I have a feeling that um, most organi- many organizations are not paying ransoms. Hmm. And so it's just not not working out so well for the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. And and you know. The other is, and I think I mentioned this before, maybe before the end of the year. I I still I still suspect very strongly that the that the drop in price of uh, of cryptocurrencies is actually making it is incentivizing people to do mining, and the reason is because the price has dropped so much. A lot of the a lot of the mining capacity. It's no longer I would say the quote legitimate mining capacity is no longer economically viable, and so they've all shut their their miners down, and so now you have a lot less mining capacity in aggregate, meaning that any you know any one system is going to be able to you know to to be more effective as a miner, and so therefore, even though the price of the crypto coins is lower. If you can, you know, if you can have a certain amount of mining capacity that's, Ill, you know, illegitimately obtained, you're you're going to make a bunch of money. And yeah, I, that's a good point. Yeah, and 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 yeah. more money than you would have if the price were higher and you had all these legitimate mining operations going on. Okay, that's so that's, that's my fair. hypothesis. I, I'm seeing you spent a lot of time thinking about this, so that makes me wonder just a little. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's what I do when I can't sleep at night. Ooh, ooh. All right, that's fair. So, it's fair. Anyway, um, it's an interesting report. You know, Microsoft. Uh, I think this is their twenty fourth. I can't believe they've done this for twenty four years. Twenty fourth annual Look, report. Jerry, we're old. I mean, just accept it. We're old. <laughs> I, know. I know. Which means we survived a lot of you know a lot of stuff. That is for sure. That's right. for sure. So. Um, Anyway, that is patch your systems, back your systems up, um, filter your email, train your employees, and um, yeah, watch out for uh, watch out for the baddies. So anyway, <laughs> that's our that's our show for this week. I, I'm amazed that you didn't jump on any sort of AD rant on that one because I know how much you love them. But we don't. I'm not trying to get you started. I'm just saying secure your AD because if your AD gets popped. It's all over. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, 
Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe one 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 episode. I'm just gonna like for an hour yell about Active Directory. I think you should have a guest host for that hour. If you ask me, <laughs> okay. I have somebody in mind actually. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so thanks everyone for uh, for listening. Sorry for the delay since the last last show. Um, look forward to seeing y'all in, uh, in, in Orlando, if you're able to make it, uh, thanks to our, uh, Patreon donors. The, uh, the show just takes gobs and gobs of bandwidth. So thank you very much for, uh, for the help there. And with that, we'll talk again soon. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.